thanks for tuning in. You're listening to From A to Gen Z with Connie Castle and Jale Brazel, cultural commentary and celebrity chat from two Gen Zers. Hi, Connie. Hi, Jar. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. It's a bit weird seeing you on a screen instead of in person. It's our it's our first it's our trial run recording not face to face. Yeah, remotely. Yes. We should probably mention actually. I feel like if there's any lag because of the connection issues, or to be honest, the chair I'm sitting on is really squeaky. So that's (laughs) any weird creaking sounds. (laughs) That's Jar's chair. something else don't get any ideas it's not our ancient (laughs) bones um but yeah um so we're adapting to tier two life aren't we yeah um it's pretty tragic not to be physically together but we're surviving yeah uh lockdown can't stop us from recording this podcast can't hold us down and we both look quite cute in our little headphones i think yeah (laughs) like djs Anyway, <laughs> I'd be such a bad DJ. <laughs> You'd be a great DJ. I'd love to hear Waterwall Drake. Oh my god! Yeah, that—that's what it would be. It would just be banger after banger. Drake, two thousand sixteen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, what have you been? What have you been up to this week? You've been smashing the like classic British telly, actually. I have. I think it's something about the the days drawing in and getting darker, coupled with lockdown. That I've just really been reaching for those comfort TV shows. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and it's quite nice to have that little bit of of normality of something that happens every year. Yes. In this so weird, extraordinary year, like the mm. same things that are happening. So, been watching a lot of GBBO. Mm-hmm. The, the Bake Off and Strictly has just returned. Any oh my Strictly god, fans I love Strictly. I love Strictly. I actually haven't watched it for years. My dream is to go on Strictly. I'll Honestly, say that same. now. It just the glitz and the glam. Yeah, it's so fun. And the dance. You'd learn some yeah. cool moves. Yeah. So um, how is it this year? What's the goal? It's good. I mean, they're doing a lot of like COVID restriction stuff, but other than they occasionally would talk about like all the lengths they've gone to to make it safe mm. it's really normal which is quite nice to watch um they've got a few they've got a few gen zers gen oh have they on there yeah they've got um i, I think her name's Maisie oni from eastenders if any eastenders mm-hmm. fans are listening and this singer called harvey um and his stage name is spelled like h-r-v-y and he's no so vowels. fresh. Yeah, he's so fresh and Gen Z that I didn't even, I hadn't even heard of him. <laughs> oh my but God, we're so old. Yeah, yeah I because we're like the top of Gen Z, aren't we? Yeah. The oldest, anyway. Uh, he's 21 and she's 19. So wow. they're all babies. Yeah. Uh, who else? Uh, Jamie Lang from Made in Chelsea. Wow. This year. Throwback to our youth. Yeah. <laughs> Which was spent watching Made in Chelsea. Um, and big, big name, like big headline this year is like Nicola Adams the boxer oh yeah the boxer yeah she's yeah she's on there with a female partner so it's the first time Strictly have done a same-sex partnership oh interesting that is fun I can imagine she'd be quite good as well because anyone who's like a sports person and knows how is like trained with their body often does really Mm. well yeah it's kind of disciplined it's funny that they have really young people on there because I associate Strictly with something that you do once your career has like reached a certain point True. you know yeah. <laughs> it's quite it's depressing some... yeah. <laughs> they've already not... succeeded in their yeah, life yeah <laughs> but it's like you know like you've made you've made your mark on the world and then you're like in a comfortable middle age you're like oh what should I do go on Strictly yeah 
totally get you. But um, starting out at the start of your career going on Strictly, that's bold. It is. They've, they've made it and they're so young. Mm. Good for them. Jealous of uh, them. Yeah. But I'd highly recommend for anyone who's uh, reaching for that normal life in these extraordinary circumstances. Yeah, a bit of comfort telly. We love it. So we've just talked about what I've been watching recently. Jean, mm-hmm. oh, what about you? Have you been watching anything good? I have. I've just finished um, the sitcom Awkwafina is Nora from Queens. It's on BBC iPlayer at the moment. Do you know Awkwafina? Have you heard of her? Um, I have. And I've seen it's Ocean's 8. Yes. So she's the pickpocket. She's yeah, she's the pickpocket in Ocean's 8. And she like plays the best friend character in Crazy Rich Asians. Um, which came out in 2018 um, and this is her sitcom that she's created and stars in and stuff um, it follows a plot line which is quite familiar now I feel um, one reviewer called it the raunchy female slacker plot line uh, which mm-hmm. is a bit misleading because I feel like what he meant was raunchy as in like sexually frank and like just speaks about their sexuality in a very open way not like when I think raunchy, I think period drama and lace and lipstick. I don't know about you. Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> Seductive 1950s lady. Or yeah, something, it's really not know. that. It's more just like she's very open about the fact that she's, I don't know, she has like a massive sex toy in her room and stuff like that. She's just open about it. Anyway, Love um, it. so yeah, exactly. So other shows like that, you know, Michaela Cole's Chewing Gum before she did I May Destroy You. Oh, yeah. Even Fleabag a bit falls into that category. It's these 20-something women kind of just wheeling about their lives and figuring it out and everything like that. Awkwafina is Nora from Queens, I think is most similar to Broad City um, by Ilana Glazer and Abby Jacobson, which is also based Mm -hmm. around a female character who is basically, they're not finding any kind of career and they're navigating their 20s by smoking a lot of weed and getting into various scrapes and misadventures around New York. So it's very similar. And also, Awkwafina is Nora from Queens has a very similar introduction to Broad City, where it's very brightly coloured cartoon credit sequence. So I feel like the echoes are quite deliberate in that way. Nice. Okay. Um, And what did you think about the series, like... Did you enjoy it? Was it funny? Any highlights? Any highlights? Oh my God, the massive highlight. Well, to be honest, when I started watching it, I I thought it was a bit too similar to those other shows to be funny or super original. But okay. then as the character of Nora's grandma is introduced and developed, I just fell in love with the show. Her grandma is played by Laurie Tan Chin, who also played Mei Chang in Orange is the New Black. I don't know if you remember, I watched Orange is the New Black quite a long time ago. Um, she plays a slightly psychotic figure in mm-hmm. Orange is the New Black. But in Awkwafina is Nora from Queens. Her grandma is basically, she's this tiny Chinese American woman who is essentially a gangster granny. Like in the second episode, she has wow. her hair cut really short. And Awkwafina, the main character, um who's called Nora it's like oh grandma you look great and then her grandma's like yeah I told my hairdresser I wanted to look like M&M <laughs> <laughs> like, whoa I amazing. know I love it and to be fair she does it like M&M um and it's yeah, the whole thing is that she basically fluctuates between acting like a cute little old lady and then like a really foul-mouthed rap star there's this she, <laughs> there's this ongoing joke where she has a vendetta against Marie Kondo 
you know, the tidying up oh, right. yeah. guru from Netflix. And she just hates her for some reason. And it's like not relevant to the conversation ever. And her grandma will just be like, fuck Marie Kondo. <laughs> um yeah <laughs> that's so funny yeah i know it's just great and there's this other episode her grandma goes to atlantic city and gets into this like cafeteria fight with these korean women i mean it's just wild it's absolutely wild um and i was just thinking about why i found that so funny and i'm pretty sure it's because in a weird way she reminds me of my grandma i think it's god rest her soul think? yeah i think it's the i think it's a weird combination of factors it's the foreign <laughs> accent definitely and just like being really short and also just not giving a fuck, I think. Um, yeah, your grandma really didn't, did she? Yeah, she did. Um, so I feel like, yeah, I think I find it extra funny because I really, it's so incongruous and ridiculous. But for me, there's an edge of familiarity that makes it even more hilarious. So I just absolutely love that. Um, so... Yes, I found some of the early episodes are a bit predictable, but honestly, liked it more and more because it got weirder and weirder as the series went on and she kind of leans into the surreal aspects of the show a bit more. Um, there's one episode that's done entirely in the style of a Korean soap opera, which is like oh, really cool. melodramatic and ridiculous. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. So if anyone's looking for a laugh or just looking for a gangster granny that they can really empathise with, then I would recommend Awkwafina is Northern Queens. Sounds great. I'm always looking for a gangster granny person. Yeah. <laughs> there you are. So this week, uh, both of us read an article by Charlie Howard in British Vogue called How to Be Confident. Um, Charlie Howard, if for those who don't know her, she's... um. She's a former straight size model um, who basically has become kind of an in-between size model. It's annoying that models have to be categorised by mm. their size, isn't it? Um, but basically she wrote a book and a, I think a blog post that went viral basically about how she put on weight and sizing in the modelling industry, etc, etc. And she has a great Instagram and um, she writes quite a lot for British Vogue about fashion, modelling, that kind of thing. So this article is about, well, it's the um, sentiment's kind of in the title, but um, this article is about how to be confident. Um, so she talks about the confidence gap between the sexes. Uh, so one quote that I quite liked was um, when she said, uh, when a man's capabilities and self-worth aren't intrinsically linked to the way he looks, at least not to the same degree. Um, and that I kind of found quite like resonated with me quite a lot because I felt that um, in school and uni in particular, and probably just because I use social media quite a lot, I felt like I'd been taught to um, kind of think that my appearance was really important in life and would be really important for everything. And now that I've just started working and kind of realizing how it's really not that important at all. Um, <laughs> especially, obviously it really depends on the industry. So coming from Charlie Howard, who's a model and an influencer and stuff, um, it's probably a lot harder for her to to like actually believe that, that the way she looks doesn't matter because it does for her livelihood. But for most jobs, it doesn't. And they, they're always gonna pick the best candidate they don't care how you look and no one none of your colleagues cares how you look they just care that you're doing a good job mm. so yeah that kind of resonated with me at the moment um and then another 
thing that I quite liked that she said was um, she talked about like finding the woman that you were before society told you she wasn't good enough. Mm. Um, which I quite liked and I thought was quite a a good way to put it because often we're kind of reminded by like advertising and social media and everything that we really need to be like a better version of ourselves or we need to be more like X and Y, more like this woman um, and just like bombarded by images of people who have more than us, especially social media like influencers, celebrities kim k who we're going to talk about later oh yeah um there's a lot of like pressure of of what to live up to um and her kind of pushing the you don't need to change yourself you need to be who you are and the mm. best version of who you are i quite liked yeah obviously. So, yeah great sentiment Yes, but Shah, you had a slightly different opinion to me. Do you want to? Yeah, I did. Well, I don't. I don't want to be a bloody Debbie Downer on this whole thing because I do think it's a really important argument that she's setting out, and the point that she's making is really admirable. And of course, I completely agree that we shouldn't put so much stock by women's appearances as we do. Like I, this is a horrible thing to say, but it is true because of the way I've been socially conditioned. I notice it when I'm walking down the street. I'm always looking at how other women look in a way that, mm. I mean, I'm not checking them out or anything. I'm just like, it's it, as if it's something that would indicate their character to me as yeah. how they look, which is just not true. Um, so I completely agree with the point she's making. When I read it, I don't know if this is the frame of mind I was in, but it did kind of annoy me a bit, Mm, (laughs) having said that. Because she lays out a kind of a step-by-step guide on, quotes how to be more confident. Um, And her step one is kind of, she basically says, like, don't care so much about how you look. Which is uh, like, okay, that would be great, but how? Yeah. Um, (laughs) How do you do that? And then her step two is, she basically just says like practice self-care to help which is something I kind of struggle with in general because I think the idea of self-care has been co-opted so that it can now mean essentially anything like it can mean lighting a candle or it can mean going to bed on time or it can mean like eating a salad Mm. like I don't understand what it means really um so I found that a little bit reductive and I don't I'm not sure how much I buy into the fact that tidying your room or having a bath can improve the way you think about your body personally. Mm. Um, so <laughs> continuing on my <laughs> rant. Um, it, no, it's <laughs> nice. It's nice. I really liked her step three, which was about surrounding yourself with genuinely good friends who care about you and value you. And the quote that I really liked is she says, avoid people who revel in your misery um, and unfollow accounts that, you know, don't make you feel good about yourself. Yeah. And, I think that is a slightly sinister side of female friendship that people sometimes don't talk about a lot is that it can sometimes be this toxic thing where you don't genuinely want the best for people. You want yeah. your, you see yourself in competition with others and that means that when something goes wrong for them, you, you sometimes feel like it somehow vindicates your own position, um, yeah, which I think can be really damaging and... So that was really nice because it's a lovely thing to to feel genuinely happy when things go well for people you love. And if you're in a weird competitive dynamic, that's not good for anyone. It's not good for you and it's not good for your quotes friend. Um, so in general, I thought I thought that her 
the way she explained everything was really accessible and she put it in very good terms. But I thought that there should just be a bit more recognition that when we're surrounded by so many social signs and behaviours telling us that what you look like is the most important part of being a woman, it's not just you and your way of thinking that needs to change. It's the whole of society that needs to have a shift. So, for example, it would be helpful if we brought up boys to recognise that, you know, what a woman thinks and how she speaks and how she behaves is a lot more important than what she looks like. Like, that would be a massive step towards women feeling better about it themselves. Yeah, Um, I completely agree. And I think, like, in the British Vogue um, website that I read it on, it was it was categorized under this like wellness week or something they'd had a like a drive to do loads of articles on wellness and that's again what I sort of hit back at because I don't like wellness is something that you take individual responsibility for as far as I understand it and I don't think that putting the responsibility on individual women for breaking out of these negative thought patterns is essentially what we should be aiming for because I don't think like it's not our fault <laughs> so yeah, why should we have I to deal with agree. it <laughs> and I also think um not to be harsh to Charlie Howard herself but it is a bit rich to hear this kind of stuff coming from a model mm. um I mean she's absolutely stunning and like she does a lot of uh photo shoots and like campaigns um of her in her underwear and stuff like that and it's ob- like obviously that's the way she gets money so it is important to her um and also she obviously does care about how she looks because she wouldn't go to a lot of effort and like take pictures of herself and and she wouldn't have that career if she didn't want to be somewhat valued by how she looks was Mm. that not a fair comment I don't know but no but she addresses that in the piece when she says that she became a model because she essentially wanted to be validated through how she looked and found that that didn't that wasn't the answer for her um but if you're in the industry to a certain extent I mean that is your job yeah it's hard isn't it um but yeah a very interesting article um and it's nice to have like different opinions on it yeah it did it it got me thinking because it when it annoyed me I was I had to slow down and ask myself why that was the case and then Mm. it's good to have those kind of reactions then analyze like what's really going on there so yeah thank you for sending it to me (laughs) no worries Welcome to From A-List to Gen Z, the segment where we talk in detail about the wild world of celebrities. So what's your celeb news this week, Connie? Uh, So this week, a big event occurred in the Kardashian world. It was (laughs) Kim Kardashian's 40th birthday. Um, Happy birthday, Kim. Yeah, happy birthday, Kim big achievement I can't believe she's 40 she's looking good for 40 um is it is it real (laughs) (laughs) anyway um so the big like news that's hit the twitter sphere and has been memed many times is Kim's trip to a private island for her 40th Mm. birthday um the tweet and instagram caption that she released I will read for you all um After two weeks of multiple health screens and asking everyone to quarantine, I surprised my closest inner circle with a trip to a private island where we could pretend things were normal just for a brief (laughs) moment in time. (laughs) With some pics of the celebrations. Um, Yeah, so most people's reaction was quite 
stunned Atkins, like inappropriateness considering the context of the pandemic and the situation of most people's lives right now which is not private island level <laughs> I just can't believe I just it's such a massive failure to read the room it's like not being in the room it's like glancing in the room and then running out onto yeah. a boat and then going to a private island <laughs> it's hilarious um she did she did include a a line which was like I realise that for most people this is something that's so far out of reach right now I'm humbly reminded how privileged my life is um which okay at least she's acknowledging that she's privileged but it is a bit ridiculous because it's basically just like yeah I know you can't afford it but like I can afford it and I'm pretty grateful for it I mean and it rings hollow because I think that that's clearly just in anticipation of backlash, but there's like a reason there'd be a backlash. Yeah, and... maybe also, don't show the, it off. <laughs> the two weeks of multiple health screens, and then she said, I surprised my closest inner circle. That just seems Something to be... Something doesn't add up. Though. Yeah, that's a contradiction. <laughs> and also, as you mentioned, like when we were talking about this before, on the priv- in the pics on the private island, no-, no one's wearing masks or like social distancing. Yeah. So uh, pretending things are normal for just a brief moment in time is like, what, just like pretending the pandemic isn't real? Yeah, um, I think it's okay for you to escape reality, but it like, reality's happening, babes. <laughs> <laughs> That's very um, true. Reality is happening. Unfortunately, <laughs> reality's happening. Um, and there has been another update in the Kim's birthday saga, Jar. Do you want to tell us? Oh my God, uh, of course. The news that's come out. Yeah, to, well, yeah. I mean, e- the private island was brutally memed to start with. Yeah, but if then, that wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah, if that wasn't enough, it's been overtaken by the fact that Kanye West, for his wife's birthday, got her a hologram of her father, Robert Kardashian, who died when she was yeah, 22. 18 years ago or something. Yeah. Oh, so, no, yeah. And maths law. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was put on the spot there. It was a bit of a struggle. Um, yeah, so the hologram, I didn't know what to expect before I watched it, to be honest. I, I mean, holograms are not perfected as an art form, I'd say. Mm-mm. It's slightly like computer character, computer game character vibes in terms of like it, the skin doesn't really look and the way he moves it's isn't very odd. smooth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When when you mentioned it, and when I, because I'd seen hologram, the word hologram before I watched it, I assumed that it would be very short, like basically a moving picture. Mm. But it turns out it's actually a fully animated speech, like a minute long yeah. speech. Um, yeah. But she very... loved it. I mean, we, uh, I don't, I don't think I'd love that as a present. But I think she genuinely, you know, yeah, really liked I mean, it. She said it was the most thoughtful gift of a lifetime. That's high praise. That is high praise. Gift of a lifetime. Wow. Um, yeah, I think the fact that it was a bit odd, like the way it was animated and, and the way he looked would have taken away from the gift for me. I think it, I might have been a bit like, eh. <laughs> You'd have like, been like, this is nice of you, but like, it's not a great hologram. So yeah. for 41, <laughs> can you just... <laughs> Get me a better hologram. No, I just, I think I would have found it a bit creepy. Yeah. I don't want to be harsh. To yeah. Her, but it is a little odd. No, but also, I mean, at the end of his speech, he says that Kim has married... The most, 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 most genius man in the whole world. Yeah, this part actually <laughs> makes me want to vom. Like, <laughs> imagine your husband creating a hologram of your late dad to then praise himself. Like, yeah, when you put getting... it like that, 
<laughs> he's just getting the hologram to say that he's great. That would really annoy me. I would not be having that. I'd be like, this is all about me, Kanye. Stop trying to make my dad love you from the grave. Beyond the grave. <laughs> Brutal from Connie. Well, luckily, that's why you're not married to Kanye West. You yeah. made a good decision there, turning him down. Yeah, that's the only reason why we're not married. Our opinions on holograms pretty differ. <laughs> Okay, so Connie, you have watched the series that everyone's been talking about mm-hmm. and the series that everyone loves to hate. Yes. It's Emily in Paris. So, but I, it's interesting hearing you speak about it. We just were chatting about it a bit before because you don't uniformly hate it, which from the press no. is the vibe I got. So please tell me what you actually did like about it. Yeah, okay, so um, for anyone who doesn't know, basically Emily in Paris is a Netflix series um, starring Lily Collins, and it's created by the executive producer is Darren Starr, who you might remember from Sex and City. Mm-hmm. So he was the executive producer of that. Um, and the costumes were designed by Patricia Field, who is a Sex and City costume designer. So for any Sex and City fans like me and Anjar or anyone else, I just feel like I had to watch it, you know, I was just, yeah. just such a big fan. Um, so yeah, my, my favourite things about it, maybe like, as we've already mentioned with lockdown and everything getting dark in the evenings and stuff, I have just been like going for the, the lighthearted TV shows. Um, so it's really hit the spot in terms of like bringing the lols and the not too serious vibes. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I think the, the best things about it for me were like, great scenery of Paris, love Paris, beautiful city, uh, that was all good. <laughs> um, a lot of couture outfits like designer, Chanel, all that jazz, nice to look at, um, and a deliciously trashy plot. Love um, it. So for me, like, it was like a what's not to love. Um, I love trashy TV, and I thought it was, I don't, it's not laugh per minute, but it's entertaining. It's kind yeah. of like a rom-com where you want to mildly chuckle at scoff yeah yes exactly um yeah so the the other thing that i thought was quite a good parallel with sex and city is um that it's sort of more about the place than the people so like okay kind of the whole point is that it's set in paris and a lot of it is about paris parisian people french people the difference between americans and french um people and Sex and City is kind of like that in that a lot of it was about New York and like a love yes. letter to New York and specific to New York women and New York dating. So I thought that was if you, yeah, quite interesting. If you like that aspect of Sex and City or if you just like mm. Paris, might be one to watch. <laughs> that is a very, that is a very astute observation. I haven't, because most of what I've heard about it is sort of derogatory for that reason, as in mm. because it seems to be a really caricatured version of French culture but it's nice to think about it more as that Paris is almost another character in the show. Like it's about the place more than it's about the characters. That's really interesting. Um, But do you have any? Yeah. With like things that went, went not so well, that's kind of like a positive and a negative because I think what, what went well with Sex and City was that they were like New Yorkers born and bred or maybe not even born and bred but like they loved it whereas she's kind of an, coming at it as an outsider Emily yeah. so she's from Chicago and she moves and I think that's why a lot of people have disliked it it's because it can come across as like critical an outsider coming in 
and judging French people or basically telling them like what not to do or what they're doing wrong in in her job right Um, so she's like a marketing exec and she's got lots of new ideas uh, that don't go down very well with the people that she works with and that's kind of the bad um like the negative energy of the show is that Mm. there's like a friction between her and the new French people around her yeah they don't like her she doesn't really like them like that's kind of bad um and I also feel yeah. like that that feeds into a wider thing, which I've heard generally, is that people, well, people in Britain or people in Europe kind of don't really like the American working style, as in, yeah. because, you know, like Americans typically get hardly any holiday and they're expected to be kind of switched on the whole time. And yeah. it's very, like, the personal interactions in work, like, they're so, what we see as overly friendly and kind of excitable about everything. And I feel like translating that to a European setting is very like, I can just see that being really jarring. So if the whole plot is that Emily comes into this French company and is like, okay, guys, like we're going to do it differently. They'll be like, oh, no, 100%. You've literally hit the nail on the head. Like those are the exact things that she does and the exact things that they have a problem with like French are known for their long lunches and Mm. they arrive kind of late to the office and stuff and she's very hard-working like lives to work attitude um quite like prim and proper American Mm. health and safety and like um what is it kind of snowflake oh I see offended about stuff kind of thing so that is very much the conflict in it um yeah, and I think that's what so many, like one of the articles I'm going to mention later, that is basically their issue with it. It's just mm. that, that she's critical. Yeah. Um, and then a few other things that I thought were not so great about it was um, that there's like one of the storylines is basically a conflict between her and her boss at the marketing firm, who's like an older woman, not like really old or anything. She's probably 40s, 50s, mm. um, probably 40s, actually. Don't want to be harsh. <laughs> <laughs> and... So she hates Emily kind of for no reason. I mean, maybe because she's American and a bit annoying, Mm. but whatever. (laughs) And there's kind of like a competitiveness between them over a man. And I just think that was just a bit of an annoying storyline because, um, yeah, just pitting women against each other and being like, pick me. And and also this kind of conflict between like the older and the younger woman is just annoying because it's like we should just be... moving past that let's be nice to each other and not be yeah not see everyone else as a competition Mm -hmm. um and yeah the other thing I thought was that in a way like it's just not really quite as good as Sex and City it's it's nothing like the scale which Sex and City is like hundreds of episodes or whatever um so it doesn't have like the scope to go into people's lives like Sex and City Mm -hmm. did but um that show was definitely more groundbreaking in terms of like showing women in their 30s who are single and enjoying themselves and having sex like without shame and all that Mm. kind of jazz and female friendships and Emily in Paris isn't definitely not I wouldn't say anything new really yeah and it's a bit worrying to think I mean maybe we shouldn't read too much into this but it's a bit worrying to think um that the creators thought that Sex and City was what their audience wanted in the Mm. late 90s and early 2000s and Emily in Paris is what they think their audience wants now. True, I mean, actually. that's terrible. Point, yeah. Because isn't the whole point that she's kind of obsessed with Instagram? And Yeah, she kind of becomes an influencer. Yeah. So I suppose I mean, they think that's the dream. To just yeah, go exactly. To Paris and become an influencer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Which, 
I mean, it isn't really my dream. I think that would be terrible. But yeah, equally, from what I've heard, even that aspect of it is quite unrealistic. And it's interesting even that they choose the the Instagram platform as their social media that they make a really big deal out of in the show because already that seems a bit dated. Yeah, like true. now because the big the new big thing is TikTok. It seems like I can understand that they were if they were conceiving of it a few years ago, it would seem really cutting edge and like cool. But now it's just a bit like lame. <laughs> yes, I get you. Um, Not to roast yeah. it. I'm roasting everything today. I feel so bad. <laughs> Um, no, well, you're not alone. A lot of people have posted it. Um, a couple of articles, one by uh, in Vogue by Monica de la Villadier. Oh my god, I forgot you can speak French. <laughs> I literally yeah. just forgot that until you said that now, and I was like, well, bloody I, hell. I kind of butchered that, so no. Do it again. Say much. it again. Monica, so she's Canadian, but she's got a French husband. Her surname is de la Villadier. Oh, so nice. Um, or even de la Villadière. I have it twice. Um, so she's she basically writes from the perspective of like, oh, I live in Paris and real Paris is nothing like Emily in Paris. Right, yeah. Um, is the essence of her article, which I just found annoying. I was like, just don't be such a Debbie Downer. Like, okay, we get it. You're the real <laughs> deal, babes. Grow up. Like, <laughs> whatever, Monica. Um, and she, so she made some kind of good points. Like, the there's a quote, um, from her, which is the manner in which you proceed to shove your puritanical American guidelines down French throats, just nauseating. Um, wow, strong words. I there see. From <laughs> um, I kind of, I, I got the point. Like sh- she does kind of do that. She is a bit holier than thou, and she's like, I'm great, and this is the way we do it in America. Mm. But um, she took. I think Monica just took it too far. She was like, <laughs> you're still la pluque, which is <laughs> something they use to insult her. It basically, means like the hick. Um, yeah pretty harsh better luck next season Um, which I think it's just she was playing a persona obviously Monica she was having fun with it but I think she just went too far and became a bit of a killjoy Um, uh, another article from Marina Karosh which I thought was pretty good she kind of like got on like got on to the problems with it I don't know what I'm trying to say but she really dug into them Um, and she kind of she picked up like you know, the endless sequence of overly attractive French men popping up like marionettes on every street corner, <laughs> was a good quote, um, which I thought was also something you could compare with Sex and City, because yes. they're always just meeting men at yeah. the gym or on the street. Um, yeah. Maybe classic Darren Star trope there. Yeah. Um, and also people picked up on her outfits. So Mathilde Carton, who's the editor of French Grazia, pointed out her outfits were very out of touch with reality um too bright too showy too cartoonish which is a good point because there is a bit of a contrast between emily's fashion which is very out there and like the french girl style um mm. which is kind of modeled on camille one of her friends who's very much got the like classic take off one accessory before you leave right attitude. yeah but i think in response to them all, I basically think that Emily and Paris should just be appreciated for what it is, which is an American girl's fantasy. Like, she comes to Paris and lives the dream and wears whatever the hell she wants. So you can obviously take it, like, at a deep level as a, an attack on, like, French people and their values. Yeah. But I think we should probably just enjoy it for the, like, light, bright, fluffy vibes that yeah, you get Yeah, as it, it was intended, probably. 
Yes, so Emily in Paris is out now. If anybody would like to watch it, let us know your opinions. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Did yeah. Did you want to be her? I can't Wait, imagine sure. anyone wanting to watch it after we've just absolutely destroyed <laughs> it now. But good luck if you do. <laughs> so, Shah, last week you told us about the amazing kimono exhibition at the V&A. Have you been to see anything this week that you could tell us about? I have. I went to the National Gallery to see the Artemisia exhibition, um, which was showing the paintings of a 17th century female artist. Would you believe there was such a thing as a woman painter? (laughs) How exciting. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, But she was actually, it was incredible. She was considered one of the best artists of her time, but I'd never heard of her before this exhibition. Um, and I think she was super successful. Well, well, she had some money issues, but she was super successful as an artist. <laughs> Don't we all? Don't yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that. Well. Um, relate, relate to you, Artemisia. Sorry, <laughs> but um, but she after she died, her work was basically ignored by the art world because of you know hashtag patriarchy. Um, and it's a remarkable story though because she was she was the daughter of a moderately successful painter called Orazio. Gentileschi um and she became his apprentice at quite a young age um so it was a really amazing show so what did she actually paint um and also was anything that she painted specifically like woman e okay I know that's not a good phrase but like could you tell that no, anything she mean. painted was by a woman was it specific to that yeah <laughs> absolutely well wow, good questions Connie um so firstly what did she paint she well one of her most famous things um is that when she was 17 she painted a a scene inspired from a story in the bible um that's called Susanna and the Elders and the story is essentially these two creepy old men spy on a young woman Susanna when she's having a bath when she's naked uh, and then when she tries to leave they blackmail her into because they want her to have sex with them it's like quite grim um <laughs> and it was quite a popular topic for painting so painters had you know created this scene before uh but artemisia's interpretation is quite different um and quite remarkable so in her version Susanna's body language she's kind of twisting away and she looks really uncomfortable and distressed and the two men are really close to her they're leaning over this wall and they're almost touching her um and one of them's kind of whispering to the other like like they're making a joke at her expense so the humiliation really comes through um so her interpretation of that scene really captures the the more like sinister threatening undertones than other versions where the men are often quite far away and they're kind of looking through a window and it's like oh ha ha a woman's <laughs> naked body as opposed to like rapey vibes right okay so she really um, brought out those undertones yeah so she yeah exactly um and I think generally it's thought that a lot of her paintings have women as subjects and in quite heroic roles. So there's this other one um, called, based on a Bible story called Judith Slaying Holofernes, uh, which is this quite gruesome image of these two women pinning down this massive man and, and cutting his throat. Um, which leads me on to another thing about the exhibition, which is sort of trying to present her as an artist in her own right that should be appreciated for her talent because I think in the past those achievements have been overshadowed by facts from her life because this kind of 
major event happened when she was quite young, which is that she was raped by her tutor, who was called Agostino Tassi. Um, mm. And he was taken to court. And the exhibition actually has the manuscript of the trial, which in that time basically recorded word for word what people said in the courtroom. Um, and Artemisia herself, she participated in the trial and accepted that she would have torture by thumbscrew because Ooh, that was the convention. Horrible. I know, horrible. Um, that was a convention to test that you were telling the truth. So, and it's open in the exhibition. The, this book is open at the page where she's being tortured by thumbscrew and she's saying, it's true, it's true, it's true. So it's quite sort of vivid and shocking. Intense. Yeah, it's really intense. Um, but so that painting of Judas saying Holofernes has been interpreted as Artemisia's almost artistic revenge for the events in her life. Um, but I just, I really thought it was, it was breathtaking. I mean, <laughs> I want to finish with um, what she wrote to a collector in 1649. Um, I should have perhaps mentioned that it's all, it's 17th century. So it's all this, like the golden age of Italian painting. And she was this incredible talent um, who was a woman, obviously. Uh, so she wrote to a collector that she possessed the spirit of Caesar in the soul of a woman and said to him, I will show your illustrious lordship what a woman can do. Iconic. (laughs) So iconic. I want to use that Caesar line in my day-to-day life. Yeah, you do, Shah. You possess the spirit of Caesar in the soul of a woman. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. No one's ever said that to me before. I mean, I don't think I do. I think Caesar is a bit I think he's a lot more kind of strategical than I will ever be. Right. I mean, That's... you know more yeah. about these things than I am. Like, Caesar who? Caesar salad? <laughs> you possess the soul of a Caesar salad. I do love a crouton, to be fair. Yum. Um, but yeah, the, the exhibition, it just made me think. Imagine if in history, women had been allowed to be artists. Like, we'd have so many cool pieces that just don't exist because they were never given the chance yeah what a good point and qu- quite sad but mm, yeah. <laughs> what we could have had but still at least we have Artemisia's work yeah and it's exactly being recognized now that's really good yeah incredible now it's time for nice nuggets of news a segment where we discuss uplifting news stories that might have passed you by So, Jean, what nice nags have you got for me this week? Um, I have a story from 2016 about Mr. and Mrs. Kuroki, who are dairy farmers in Japan. Um, and sadly, Mrs. Kuroki lost her sight um, because of health problems resulting from diabetes. Uh, so she became quite depressed and withdrawn. Uh, oh. But after this, her husband decided to plant a flower garden so that she could sit outside and get some joy from enjoying the smell of the lovely flowers. So over two years, he planted these thousands of flowers. um, And there's a picture of them smiling in this massive field of like fuchsia shade um, flowers. And it's really beautiful. And apparently now she's, she has a wonderful time sitting and smelling the flowers. So amazing. Yeah. Well, that was nice. What, what about you? What have you got this week? Uh, so I have two animal-themed nuggets. You love week. doing themed nuggets. <laughs> yeah, I just, I can't get enough. <laughs> so first up is uh, some news about this special kind of beetle. 
Um, mm. Basically, the, it's a kind of beetle called Pho- Phloides diabolicus, could be pronouncing that wrong, um, and a doctor called Jesus Riviera has performed an experiment on the beetle in which the beetle was run over by a Toyota Camry what? car twice and it survived with zero scratches. Whoa. Yes. So nicknamed the diabolical ironclad beetle, this kind of beetle has um, an exterior that can hold its own against a force 39,000 times its body weight, which is the equivalent of a human, a 150 pound person, so like a normal sized human, resisting the crush of 25 blue whales. Oh my god it's like the dentist beetle ever yeah it's like a cockroach on steroids kind of thing you know how they're That's, indestructible yeah how how yeah. has this not been realized before i don't know it's got some really cool like crazy interlocking structure in its shell uh which apparently is kind of like a russian doll type structure um Very the article's cool. on the new york times if anyone wants to read it um yeah and, and the other quote i had was saying that just about any other living thing would have been liquefied by the forces that the insect Whoa. can withstand. Crazy, right? That's the kind of strength we need to cultivate during these challenging times. It is. Little we need to create an floaties. emotional shell. Yeah. Yes, an emotional <laughs> diabolicus shell. Love it. Um, yes, and then my other story is about a pair of voles. Um, it's actually a picture story, really, which was in The Guardian today. So if anyone wants to look it up, the picture is adorable. Um, <laughs> and basically, it's just that. A pair of bank voles, which are the UK's smallest species of vole. For anyone who doesn't know, a vole is like a small rodent thing. Um, but a cute rodent. So, yes, pretty cute. Like, cuter than a rat a lot. Yeah. Okay, I'm making them sound awful, but they're cute. <laughs> um <laughs> They have renovated and taken up residence in a spacious pumpkin. Um, it's in Neatus Head in Norfolk. Um, and basically, yeah, there's a super cute pic of them. They've like carved out the pumpkin somehow. I'm not really sure. But great Halloween-y, festive Yeah. Pic. If anyone wants to see it, go see it. It's very does cute. The, does the pumpkin have a face? Have they made it Halloween? It doesn't. There's like a oh. hole in it. And one vole is sticking its head out the vole. The hole even. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the other vault is like kissing the other vault <laughs> through the hole. It's really cute. That does sound I'll, cute. I will put the picture uh, on, up on social media this week. Yeah, for that sounds amazing. Oh, how heartwarming. A little pumpkin house. And now on to Whack or Woke, where we re-watch pre-2010 TV series and films and see how they hold up from a Gen Z perspective. So this week on Whack or Woke, we watched Glee, the first ever episode, series one, episode one, which came out in 2009. Um, yes, which interestingly is only two years after the first episode of Gossip Girl. Oh, I think of them as belonging to complete different eras. So that really blew my mind. Um, yeah, so the pilot episode, it just introduces each of the characters um, and it traces Mr. Schuster's or Mr. Shoe, um, as he's known to his fans. Uh, it traces his resurrection of the Glee Club and the auditions of everyone for it. So, yeah, it's just a run through of the students and the teachers at the high school where it's set. Um and something that I hadn't thought about before watching it, but it's a very different perspective watching it now because Corey Monteith, who plays Finn, the quarterback in it, 
he died in 2013 from an overdose, which I remember happening. It was awful. Um, yeah. And then earlier this year, Naya Rivera, who plays Santana, the cheerleader, also accidentally drowned um, while trying Horrible, to save her son, yeah. which Such was... Yeah, it was, it was so upsetting. Um, so it just added a, a kind of horrible dimension to it, watching it now, because it's about, it's about like the potential of youth and young stars in the making, which the actors themselves also were. Like yeah. they, you know, they were going to be the stars of the next generation. And then, I mean, two of them have died. It's horrible. Yeah, it's really um, sad, actually. Yeah. But what did you, what did you think about it? Um, I thought there was a lot, a lot that I had forgotten about Glee. Mm. It was like very deep in my memories. Um, I thought that it was in general, um, it was quite, quite diverse. However, the whole point of that diverse cast is that they're the losers. So it's kind yeah. of an interesting dynamic there. It's like, is it forward thinking? Cause it's putting a disabled student, um, as one of the characters but then is it not because he's actually not disabled and they didn't get a disabled actor um oh really i didn't know that i'm pretty sure i don't actually know for sure i'm pretty sure whoever plays artie is not disabled okay um Mm. that's a separate bit of a separate issue but yeah the fact that they've got like an asian character and uh overweight character whatever like is that good because they're showing them or is it bad because they're making them be the victims of bullying and have slushies thrown in their face yeah (laughs) that's true yeah because there are a lot of there are a lot of different ethnicities and sexualities and demographics but I hadn't thought of it like that is that they what unites them is that they're bullied so like Kurt is very openly gay and he's bullied for it and Artie is disabled and he's bullied for it it's like it's representing a lot of different groups but it's not particularly presenting them as kind of strong characters in their own right they're they're grouped under this like loserdom umbrella that makes them join glee so that's very true actually but then i guess it becomes more empowering over time doesn't it because the whole point is they and i think they do develop their characters like if it's the first time um like if you were disabled and it's the first time you see a disabled character on screen like it probably would have been still yeah pretty good to watch like artie's development whatever throughout the series but Mm. yeah it yeah. is a bit sucky watching them get bullied. <laughs> yeah, and it's a bit, it's an interesting comparison with Gossip Girl because, True. Th- yeah, premiered only two years before, but Gossip Girl has a pretty much a 100% white, wealthy cast. Yeah. So, and I wouldn't have guessed that Glee was pre-2010. So I True. would have, because it's, because it has such an emphasis on diversity, I would have thought that it was a lot later. Um Although some bits of it make you realise how dated it is because they're all obsessed with MySpace. That was so funny to watch. Because <laughs> 2009, we were we were in year seven, I'm pretty yeah. sure. And MySpace, I don't think was a thing at all no. for us, for Gen Z. Like, I have never had a MySpace. Never no. heard of anyone of my friends having a MySpace. So, interesting. Yeah. it's so. But they mention it, like, a few times. So, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Um, it's really funny. Yeah, and then the the other interesting part of it is where um, the Glee Club are performing a song from Greece, and Mercedes, who's a black character, she like stops the rehearsal because she's got she's got the best voice by far of anyone in the group. A hundred percent. Yeah, she's and amazing. she's she stops the rehearsal to be like, "Why am I on backing vocals? I'm Beyonce. I'm not Kelly Rowland," which is fair enough. Yeah. Um, which when you watch it is very obviously a comment on how 
black characters are so often cast as the best friend or in a supporting role when they have the talent to be much more. Um, I just wish that that they then kind of acted on it because they don't give her the main role and then for pretty much the rest of the series. I know. (laughs) She's always in the background. Yeah, exactly. It's like they got halfway there and then didn't, they didn't put their money where their mouth was. Yeah, with they recognised the problem and they were yeah. like, eh, not going to do nothing about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you were saying about, I'd forgotten Emma, the character who's a student counsellor. Um, she's, I mean, we would characterise it as having OCD, I think. She's yeah. she's obsessive about cleaning and germs and stuff, um, which you were saying perhaps wouldn't fly these days. Yeah, I don't, I think because of the perception of OCD, well, because it's become such a, well, it became such a mainstream thing of like, oh, I'm so OCD, I have to mm. put pens in a row. I think her um, form of OCD, which is like the traditional one that we think mm. about um, as basically being obsessively clean, um, is now like, there's been quite a lot of backlash against that because that's often not what OCD is yeah um so I think it might have been like a bit more sensitively treated um and they might show other aspects of the way yeah. the condition affects her rather than just the clean stuff but yeah interesting to yeah think about. I think that's definitely true because OCD, it can be about like thought patterns and like intrusive thoughts and stuff um but it's true that I think if you ask most people what do you think OCD is it is exactly that it's like you know, everything must be swept and absolutely spotless, which is exactly how Emma treats it. Um, yes, exactly. The The other thing was, it's slightly disturbing. Again, this is the premise of the whole show, but it's I didn't notice it that much the first time round, is that all the teachers really buy into the, the toxic hierarchies of high school. Like, they just perpetuate them and they do nothing to combat mm. them. So the football coach, when he's comes into conflict with Mr Schuster about starting the glee club he says that it doesn't matter anyway because the herd which is what he calls the student body will attack anyone who tries to be different so the glee club will kind of get what's coming to it basically um and like the evil cheerleading coach Sue played by Jane Lynch describes high school as a pecking order where the popular kids are in the penthouse and the glee kids are in the basement um yeah exactly so and again, that's partly the humour of the show is that the, the teachers seem more obsessed with the hierarchies of high school than the students are. Um, mm-hmm. But I wonder if they might they might have portrayed a bit more of an adult perspective on how the teachers interacted. Um, yeah, true. If it was made, say, a decade later. Um, yeah. And I think a point that you made earlier was um, how they're kind of, they are almost an extension of the kids in that they're trying to like relive their youth and their high school experience. And that was something I had not remembered from, from watching it, like how Mr. Shu basically just wants to be in the Glee Cup yeah. and re- <laughs> reignite his like former passion. Um, it's quite weird, isn't it? Yeah. And also, but there was this massive emphasis on like following your dreams. And yeah. because the tension in the first episode is that his wife wants him to become an accountant because that will pay the bills, whereas his passion is teaching and he loves, like, performing. Mm. Um, and I, when I first watched it, I think I would have been completely behind the whole, like, follow your dreams, whatever. But, and not to sound like a jaded old woman, but 
there is something to be said for having a stable income and pursuing your interests in your own time. Like, I don't know. Like the whole... It's not living your dream to just go back to school. Yeah. (laughs) If he really wants to live his dream, he should try and become a singer, surely. Yeah. Not just live through the kids. Yeah. I yeah. I see it. I see it as a bit sad now, which at the time I don't think I did. Yeah. I agree. I think at the time I was like, yeah, defo. Yeah. But now we've grown up. We know how the world really works. Yeah. (laughs) Creepy old teachers trying to live through our dreams. Yes. But what would you say? Where do you think it comes on Whack or Woke? It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because in a way, I feel like it could be pretty woke. In a way, it could be pretty whack. Yeah, I think it's pretty much even Stevens, you know? Yeah, I agree, actually. Mm. That's interesting. We haven't had one of those before. No. A middle one. There we go. Neither whack nor woke, but somewhere (laughs) in the centre. it for this week thank you to all our listeners and social media followers we hope you enjoyed this episode and remember to follow us on social media at from a to gen z on instagram from a to gen z with connie and jarlette on facebook and at from a to gen z pod on twitter tune in next time for another episode of from a to gen z